Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. On with the show. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was April 2nd, 1979. In the Soviet city of Sverdlovsk, or modern-day Yekaterinburg, people began getting sick with fevers, coughing, and vomiting. A deadly plume of anthrax spores had been released from a military microbiology facility, causing at least 64 people to die and 96 people to be hospitalized. At least, that's what was revealed to have happened after the incident. For years, the Soviet Union claimed that meat tainted with anthrax was responsible for the outbreak and denied that an accident had happened. The anthrax leak, which caused an epidemic that lasted into May, has been called the biological Chernobyl. Anthrax is an infectious disease caused by the bacterium Bacillus anthracis. The bacterium produces spores that can lie dormant in soil for decades. People can be infected in a few ways. Cutaneous anthrax occurs when a person touches an affected animal or animal product. People can get a gastrointestinal anthrax infection from eating an infected animal. But the deadliest type of anthrax infection is pulmonary, or inhalation, which has a 90% fatality rate in people who are not treated with antibiotics. When a person breathes in a high concentration of anthrax spores, the bacteria multiply and produce toxins. Then the infected person starts to experience symptoms like a shortness of breath, cough, body aches, fever, bloody vomiting, and fainting. Because anthrax spores are easily found and produced and are microscopic, they are an ideal weapon for bioterrorists. The Sverdlovsk leak wasn't an act of bioterrorism. It was accidental. But it harmed and killed many people nonetheless. In 1972, most countries signed the Biological Weapons Convention, which banned the development, production, and use of biological weapons. The Soviet Union was one of the signatories. But the convention didn't ban bioweapons defense research, and it did not institute a compliance and monitoring body. In October 1979, a newspaper in West Germany ran a report that said there had been a germ accident that caused thousands of deaths in the Soviet Union. And in early 1980, that same paper reported that in April 1979, there had been an explosion at a secret military installation near Sverdlovsk that released anthrax spores into the air. There was word that Soviet military had made efforts to decontaminate the area once the spores were released. The news spread around the world, and U.S. intelligence soon discovered that there were signs of an accident at the bioweapons facility Compound 19 in Sverdlovsk. Plus, the Soviet defense minister, Ustinov, had visited the city at that time. The U.S. accused the Soviet Union of violating the ban on the use of biological weapons. And in return, the Soviet Union accused the U.S. of intensifying tensions between the two states and waging psychological warfare on the Soviet Union. The Soviets maintained that tainted meat was the reason an anthrax outbreak had happened. And many Western scientists believed them, doubting the accusation that there had been an accidental anthrax release, including biologist Matthew Messelson, who the CIA assigned to examine the evidence from intelligence sources. The Soviet Union held strong to their story that meat had been tainted. 
and the Reagan administration continued to accuse the Soviet Union of violating the Bioweapons Convention. But finally, in 1992, after the Soviet Union had dissolved, Russian President Boris Yeltsin admitted to U.S. President George H.W. Bush that the outbreak was in fact a bioweapons accident, and it did originate at the military facility. Yeltsin said he told Bush the following, We are still deceiving you, Mr. Bush. We promised to eliminate bacteriological weapons. But some of our experts did everything possible to prevent me from learning the truth. It was not easy, but I outfoxed them. I caught them red-handed. I found two test sites. They are inoculating tracts of land with anthrax, allowing wild animals to go there and observing them. Yeltsin promised to give the families of the people who had died in the outbreak pensions and said that Russia would follow the Bioweapons Convention. But more information about the Soviets' biological warfare operations came out. A year after signing the 1972 convention, the Soviet Union had created Biopreparat, a civilian program that employed 50,000 people across 52 facilities to manufacture biowarfare agents. The program's deputy director, whose name is now Ken Alabek, defected to the U.S. in 1992 and told what he had heard about the incident in the book Biohazard. According to Alabek, Compound 19 produced tons of powdered anthrax every year to release from ballistic missiles. According to this account, a technician had removed a clogged filter, and it wasn't replaced until too late. A breeze carried anthrax spores to a nearby ceramics factory, infecting the workers, who were mostly men, and killing many of them within a week. To make the tainted meat lie look more credible, the Soviets shot stray dogs, arrested black market food vendors, and bathed victims' bodies in chemical disinfectants. The KGB disposed of hospital records and pathological reports. But all that activity just spread the spores more. People within two and a half miles of the factory were infected and died, and animals even farther than that were affected. Yeltsin let international inspectors into Spurtlovsk to investigate the incident, as the Soviets had refused to let investigators in when the news first broke. Autopsy slides of the infected victims showed evidence not of intestinal anthrax, but of inhalation anthrax, which can take weeks to show symptoms. And the families affected all lived downwind of the bioweapons facility, which pointed to an aerosol of inhalation anthrax being the culprit. In 2016, new research suggested that the anthrax strain at Sverdlovsk was close to natural strains, so the facility was probably not genetically engineering anthrax that was antibiotic or vaccine-resistant. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Get more notes from history on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that really takes to heart the phrase, you learn something new every day. The day was April 2nd, 1929. 
Irish mercenary Patrick Murphy accidentally dropped two bombs over the border town of Naco, Arizona. The bombing of Naco marked the first time the U.S. was hit with aerial bombs by a foreign agent. Starting in early March of 1929, General Jesus Maria Aguirre and General Gonzalo Escobar led a rebellion against the government in northern Mexico. The Escobar Rebellion, as the conflict is known, aimed to overthrow Mexican President Portes Gil. Escobar accused Gil's administration of corruption and being an instrument of the former president Plutarco Elias Calles. The rebellion took place largely in the North Mexican states, including Sonora. The governor of Sonora, Fausto Topete, supported the rebellion against the federal government. Topete sent his armies to invade Naco, a Sonora border town that at the time was held by federal troops who supported President Gil. Sonora was important because it was an international port of entry and a key railroad junction. Many residents of Naco, Sonora fled to American Naco, anticipating the rebel attack. Others fortified their homes. The siege of Naco began in late March of 1929. Both sides began carrying out air attacks. Rebels bombed mostly on the outskirts of Naco, Sonora, and they also bombed the Southern Pacific Railroad yards. But they were also hitting the U.S. side of Naco. One of the American mercenaries that the rebels hired was Patrick Murphy. Before he turned up in Arizona, Murphy had been charged with manslaughter in Alabama after his mechanic died in a plane crash. Murphy had a small biplane that he used to carry out bombings for the anti-government cause. He stocked his plane with bombs made of dynamite and scrap metal stuffed into cylinders. Some of the rebels' bombs did hit trenches in Mexico, but others fell in Naco, Arizona. On April 2nd, two of Murphy's bombs fell on the U.S. side. A photographer and a reporter were wounded. Glass shattered in buildings. Murphy's bombing runs also damaged a post office and a car, though nobody died from them on the U.S. side. An article in The Independent Record out of Helena, Montana, referenced the April 2nd bombings, saying the following. In retaliation for the bombing of Naco, Sonora, this morning by rebels, Two Douglas bombing planes from General Abelardo Rodriguez's air squadron flew over the rebel camp southeast of Naco at noon today, dropping explosives. The aviators reported by telephone to Rodriguez's headquarters at Mexicali LC across the line from here. Reporters and spectators gathered at the border to observe the rebellion. But by early April, Murphy's plane was shot down by a Mexican soldier. He escaped to rebel lines, then headed to the U.S., where he was arrested by American authorities for violations of U.S. neutrality laws, along with other American mercenaries. He was taken to jail in Nogales, Arizona, but none of the Americans were ever prosecuted. The rebels were defeated in the siege of Naco, and the Escobar Rebellion was suppressed by late April. What happened to Murphy after he left jail is unknown. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to hit us up on social media, you can do so at TDIHC Podcast. You can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.